The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Brian Sullivan, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show airs live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It is 5 a.m. on Wall Street. Here is your top five at five. The Fed stepping on the gas to outrace inflation, rolling out its biggest interest rate hike in nearly 30 years with more moves on the way. Investors at first cheering it, but now futures down again as Wall Street eyes a likely coming recession. A new potentially major housing headwind largely flying under the radar. Collapse in mortgage-backed securities pricing. Why it could impact you. Another major company pumping the brakes on hiring. Concerns about the economy continue to grow. And Mr. Must goes to San Francisco. Elon set to go before Twitter employees and make his case for a takeover. It is Thursday, June 16th. And you are watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. Well, good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, and as always, welcome from wherever in the world that you may be watching. I am Brian Sullivan. Thanks for being with us. Let's get right now to it. Kick off the hour with a check on the markets and your money after that big Fed rate decision. Stock futures, they are accelerating on the downside. They are down across the board. Dow futures down, what, 500 points. The Nasdaq down to over 2%. Investors eyeing more rate hikes and a likely recession. So we are seeing the markets right now, should they open here pretty much wipe out everything they gained yesterday. Of course, stocks had a decent day, a little bit of a relief rally, if we will, on Wednesday following that Fed rate decision. The Dow up exactly 1%, the Nasdaq up 2.5%. The Nasdaq, by the way, still down nearly 30% on the year. So if futures hold, we will pretty much eliminate the gains that we had on yesterday. Bonds, they've really been the bigger story, at least around rates with the 10-year yields and your borrowing costs starting to soar in the last few weeks. Right now, the 10-year yield is at 3.38%. In the oil market, crude oil currently just under 116 per barrel. This one day after President Biden sending a letter to seven major oil refiners, urging them to produce more gasoline and saying that he will take some kind of action on it. Although with refineries running at nearly 100% capacity right now, it's kind of hard to see what exactly can be done still. It's out there, WTI crude at 115 and change. Is there any break in the crypto collapse? Let's see. We are seeing Bitcoin right now actually up just a touch, or at least it was 30 seconds ago. Bitcoin right now is about 21,700 and so, so not really rebounding in any kind of a major way. Let's go now around the world. Juliana Tattlebaum is in our London newsroom with a look not only at the early trade in Europe, but also an interest rate call by a big central bank overseas. Juliana. 
Brian, good morning. Well, in terms of overall trade here, the story has really matched what you've seen in U.S. futures. European equities are trading sharply lower this morning. The DAX is down two and a half percent and only one stock is trading higher in that entire index. We're also seeing losses for the French market of nearly two percent. The Italian market pulling back more than two percent. The Swiss market under particular pressure today, underperforming down two point seven percent. You mentioned some big action from one of the key central banks. That is the Swiss. Swiss National Bank. The Swiss franc this morning is soaring after the Swiss National Bank unexpectedly tightened policy and hiked rates for the first time in 15 years. The S&B lifted rates by 50 basis points to still negative 0.25% and said it cannot rule out further increases as it looks to slow inflation. So not only did they surprise markets with an interest rate hike, but they also went more aggressive, opting for 50 basis points rather than what they could have done, 25. So here's a look for you. Swiss franc strengthening pretty significantly versus the dollar and the Swiss market, as I mentioned, up 2.7%, Ryan. All right, Julian, it's not just them. Apparently, we got the major uh, rate decision from the Bank of England a little bit later on this morning as well. What is the timeline? What is the expectation? But here's the deal, Brian. The Bank of England is expected to hike rates by 25 basis points later today as the U.K. grapples with its worst cost of living crisis in 40 years. Aside from the decision, investors are also going to be watching out for how the Monetary Policy Committee votes with members of the MPC split in recent meetings over just how to tackle price pressures. And to give you a sense of the inflation picture here, consumer price inflation hit 9 percent in April, with the central bank expecting the CPI to hit 10 percent this year. But, Brian, I have to say, Whilst the expectation officially is for a 25 basis point rate hike today, there is a lot of debate circulating this morning whether they'll have to go for something bigger now that we've seen 75 basis points from the Fed and 50 from the SNB. And those are some big time inflation expectations, 10 percent potentially. Wow. Juliana Tottenbaum in London. Thank you very much. All right. Back here at home on Wall Street, investors still digesting the Federal Reserve's biggest single rate increase since 1994, hiking by three quarters of one percent. Even more so, the central bank now expects the Fed funds rate to increase by another 1.75 percent over the next four meetings to end the year with a benchmark rate above three percent. Jay Powell adding it's all about flexibility. I think we'll know when we get there, really. I mean, I, you know, honestly, though, that that would be you would have positive real rates I think an inflation coming down by then, I think you'd have positive real rates across the curve. Um, I think that, the, you know, the neutral rate is pretty low these days. So uh, I, I would think it would. But you know what? We're going to we're going to find that out empirically. We're not we're not going to be completely model driven about this. We're going to we're going to be looking at, at, at this, keeping our eyes open and reacting to incoming data, both on financial conditions and on what's happening in the economy. Are keeping the eyes open and reacting, although many investors now questioning if the Federal Reserve already itself has lost control of the economy. Joining us now is Priya Mistra, Managing Director and Global Head of Rates Strategy at TD Securities. Priya, welcome back to the program. Do you feel like Jay Powell and the, and the Fed are, are in control? You know, they've got a dual mandate and they've got this very tricky job of trying to balance both the sides of the mandate. I think what we heard from Chair Powell yesterday, I mean, the 75 basis points had been priced in. Over the last few days, the market was already priced for it. I think we heard, he, he tried to counter some of the negatives. He said, you know, that the next meeting doesn't have to be 75. He tried to say 75 is not the new 25. He also tried to keep 
you know, price stability, huge commitment to price stability, try to talk about the softish landing. But here's the biggest problem. The Fed is responding to inflation, which responds to a pretty big lag. So, you know, I think they're going to keep hiking. We expect a 75 in July. We expect 50 basis points until then. We expect a terminal rate of 4%. And the economy is already starting to slow. I, you know, I was a little surprised with the reaction right after because the Fed is calling for cuts in 24. They've got the unemployment rate rising. I mean, it's very hard to finesse monetary policy when the unemployment rate is rising. You, it tends to run, you know, and that's this hard landing scenario. So I think they did the best yeah. that they can. But the problem is inflation's much too high and they're going to have to slow things down. And I think the long end is already telling you that things are going to slow down because the economy responds much more to long end rail rates. And they've spiked a lot in the last you know, couple of months. Correct me, please, if I am wrong, and I certainly might be, Priya, but I do not believe, at least in maybe the last few recent decades, don't take me back to 1912 or something like this, I don't think we've ever hiked rates in a slowing economy and not had a recession. Have we? Right. I mean, there are some episodes, no, not not, not this pace of rate hikes. In fact, 94, you can argue, was a bit of a soft landing, but it was very tough for the market. I mean, we had, you know, Orange County, the tequila crisis. So even if they are following the path of 94, and actually it's not clear that inflation comes down quickly enough, I think that slowdown is we'll have to navigate that slowdown next year. It's all about, are we slowing down, you know, to a growth recession, which would be, which is what the Fed is calling for. I'm a little more nervous that the combination of rate hikes well over neutral, we're talking 4% Fed funds, quantitative tightening, which did not happen in 94. So that's adding to pressure as well. And a Fed that's extremely nimble. And so I think volatility stays very high. They're moving data point to data point. So we're in the hard landing camp, um, you know, thinking that growth is not just going to slow down to 1.7 as the Fed's forecasting. We're looking at a potential recession of very close to zero GDP. It's going to be a really tough market to navigate with high vol, which is, you know, never great for investors to hear. You know, it's 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 five ten in the morning, Priya. So I'm going to ask what sounds like an insane question. So I apologize. I'll blame it on the hours. Uh, at what point do we start talking about rate cuts? I know that sounds ridiculous right now, but I feel like the Federal Reserve is slamming on the brakes because they see an accident. They're driving down the highway, see an accident, slamming on the brakes. But once we go around that, which is going to be a recession or a major slowdown, they're going to have to gun the gas once again. Is it too soon to start talking about that? Uh, no. And, you know, I think it's a good question because <laughs> we've, I've been getting that question for at where's the Fed put on the stock market? I think that's very clear. They want to tighten conditions. There's no Fed put there. But for the last 30 years, there's been a Fed put on growth. So when growth starts to slow down, the Fed should start to slam on the brakes. Here's the problem. If inflation is much too high. I don't want to use the word stagflation, but basically I'm arguing for that scenario. Growth slows down, but if inflation stays well north of 2% or 3 4 and Chair Powell talked about headline inflation, which I thought was actually very negative because the Fed really can't control the price of gas or food. But they're looking at headline inflation. If headline inflation stays high, how can they slam on the brakes? That's the issue. And they're telling us 
that think that was very clear yesterday that price stability is the number one goal so i mean we are looking for rate cuts i have to say in 2024 late 23 it could start late 23 there's a lot of time between now and late 23 even if things start to slow down i think we'll hear from the fed saying it's slowing to potential when it's clear it's slowing below potential i think they're going to have to look at inflation and if it's too high their hands might be tied yeah i think they can stop hikes but i don't think they're cutting rates if inflation's well north of 2% yeah cuz if you're an investor you're going to look out 9 12 18 months not the next few months where we know they're going to raise rates got to start looking out into 2023 priya mishra thank you for not making me feel insane i appreciate you getting up early and coming to the program priya have a great day thank you very much thanks for having me yep All right, take care. All right, we are just getting started on this very busy Thursday and when we come back, Jenny Harrington and Data Peterson are here to lay out what is next for the markets, the economy and your money. Plus, a CNBC exclusive with TPG's president on the world's biggest private equity conference and Russia escalating its energy war with Europe, putting further pressure on gas supplies to fall out ahead as we roll on right after this short break. Stick around. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com/findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org/moneytools. All right, welcome back to Worldwide Exchange here. It is looking like it could be another tough day for stocks. We are seeing Dow futures down about 580 points, but the Nasdaq bearing the brunt, their futures down 2.98%. Basically, let's call that 3% for what it is. That is more than we gained yesterday. So if futures hold here, we would wipe out everything we gained and whatever you want to call it, that mini post-Fed rally that we had yesterday. Speaking of rallies crude oil not rallying now but it is still very high at 115 here natural gas actually rising a little bit to $7.63 so it could be another very difficult day for stocks as we look at a likely recession either later this year or early next year all right outside of that let's get a check on some of this morning's other top headlines including Russia ramping up its energy war with Europe Pippa Stevens is here now with more on that and more. Good morning, Pippa. Good morning, Brian. And first up, a story that you've been following closely: natural gas in Europe is surging after Russia's Gazprom announced it was once again reducing gas flows through a key European pipeline. The company is saying it would reduce deliveries through the Nord Stream One pipe to Germany today, after doing so again yesterday. Gazprom claims the move is to service equipment, but Germany says the move appears to be political rather than technical. Meanwhile, kids under the age of 5 are one step closer to being able to get a COVID vaccine. An FDA committee voting unanimously to recommend Pfizer and Moderna's shots 
for use in the age group. The FDA is expected to accept the recommendation and authorize the shots this week. The CDC would still need to sign off on the vaccines before they are administered. And the Biden administration says the shots could start as soon as this coming Tuesday. And Spotify announcing it is slowing hiring by 25 percent. CEO Daniel Elk revealing the move in an email to employees yesterday. The move is the latest staffing reduction by a major company amid mounting economic uncertainties. X stressed that while Spotify would be more prudent with hiring over the next few quarters, it still plans to bring people on. And Brian, no doubt we're going to be hearing more of this type of announcement. Yes, yeah, certainly. And by the way, I know you cover you do a great job with energy as well, Pippa. That that slowdown in gas coming just ahead of an expected heat wave in Europe, they don't use air conditioning like we do, but they still use it. That could jack up energy costs even more. I don't think, to your point, the timing does seem a little bit uh, specious. Pippa, thank you very much. See you in a few minutes. All right, on deck. The manufacturing plant at the center of the baby formula shortage closing once again, just weeks after restarting. What it means for the race to get the critical baby food back on store shelves. Coming up. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx. All right, welcome or welcome back. We got a market flash for you right now in shares of Robinhood, the battered brokerage stock falling to yet another new low yesterday, which now gives it a market value below the value of the cash it has on its balance sheet. Robinhood's market cap falling to under $6 billion, and they had about $6.2 billion of cash or cash equivalents on their balance sheet at the end of the first quarter. Some analysts have cut their price targets on the stock this week. Thanks a lot, by the way. That stock continues to fall it is now below 7 bucks a share, and the market cap is now back below under $6 billion. Ouch. All right, let's get a check on some of this morning's other top headlines outside of the world of money and business. NBC's Francis Rivera is in New York with those. Good morning, Francis. Hi, Brian. Good morning. The January 6th committee will be back this afternoon with its third hearing on the Capitol riot. Today, the House panel is expected to make the case that former President Donald Trump put his vice president's life in danger. We'll also learn more about the pressure campaign on the former vice president. Conservative attorney John Eastman had pushed a legal theory that Pence could stop the election certification by rejecting some slates of electors. We can't expect to hear testimony from former aides to the vice president who rejected that plan. Wicked weather continues to touch down from coast to coast. The Monroe County Sheriff says multiple buildings were damaged after a tornado touched down in central Wisconsin. The storm left over 100,000 homes without power across the state.
And the puck dropped for a thrilling game one in the Stanley Cup Finals. Looking for the NHL's first three-peat in 40 years. The Lightning struck twice in the second period to tie the game up at three. That score would hold until overtime where Andre Burakovsky found the back of the net in their first Stanley Cup game since 2001. The Avalanche win 4-3. to three. Game two is in Colorado on Saturday. Those are your headlines for a Thursday morning, Brian. We send it back to you. The hotbed of hockey, Tampa Bay. Francis Rivera, thank you very much. <laughs> sure thing. Just a hotbed, just hot. All right, still ahead. The Federal Reserve going big, raising rates the most in 30 years, but will they crash the economy in their desperate race to squash inflation? Jenny Harrington and Dana Peterson are here to break down what it means for the markets and your money, the overall economy, and everything else. And throughout June, we are celebrating Pride Month. As we head to break, here is former Golden State Warriors president Rick Welts. I just think June, you know, for the LGBTQ community is just a time to reflect on uh, the journey that we've been on, uh, take stock of where we are right now, and uh, and think about the future. So I'm proud of the people who are out there telling their stories in all walks of life to really help people understand that, that we're part of the fabric of this country. All right, steep stock selling set to resume following the interest rate hike by the Federal Reserve. But this one also done by one other than our Fed. Futures are down. Jay Powell looking to hit the brakes on inflation, announcing the biggest rate hike in nearly 30 years. But will it be enough to take a bite out of inflation? And record gas prices have you, do record gas prices have you eyeing an EV? Well, if you do... Tesla just got more expensive. It is Thursday, June 16th, and this is Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. All right, welcome or welcome back, and good Thursday morning, everybody. Thanks for joining us here on Worldwide Exchange. As always, get right to it. Kick things off with a check on the markets and your money. And I'm sorry to say that it is not looking good. Any of the buying that we had yesterday, maybe that oversold bounce, rate rally, whatever short covering you want to call it, yesterday is accelerating on the downside today. In fact, NASDAQ futures down 2.5%. So basically, if we finish here, if we close throughout the day like this, we're going to wipe out what we gained yesterday. S&P and Dow futures are down as well. Tomorrow, by the way, is triple witching. That is that three different options, index options and equity options are expiring tomorrow. That happens once a quarter. Why do we talk about triple witching? Because we talk a lot on this program, maybe only on this program, by the way, about this idea of market structure and how the underlying options trades matter so much to what happens to the stock market. Options volumes have been accelerating. And tomorrow, triple witching, that could accelerate volatility today into some of those options expiries as people reset their positions tomorrow. Call that WBI wonky, but interesting, but still it matters. Either way, red on the screen right now, Dow futures are down big, about 540 points. In the bond market, we are seeing the benchmark 10-year yield at 3.38%. So bonds having a huge yield spike over the last couple of weeks, but all that coming to a close today, at least not moving any more than they have. We'll see if the market has reacted to that. In the crude oil market, we are seeing oil just under 100, well, just over $115 a barrel right now. So crude oil, well, actually, I stand corrected, 114.60. So we are seeing oil get sold just a little bit, but still 
very, very high. All right. Speaking of oil, here's a story that you may not want to hear. Russian oil revenue is not only rising, but it is now back to pre-war levels. At a conference yesterday, Russia's energy minister, Alexander Novak, saying that export jumped 600,000 barrels this month from May levels. If true, that would still have Russian energy exports now below, although below their pre-war levels, but with higher oil prices, revenues, Russia's total revenue is now likely at or even above that before they invaded Ukraine. Also, the International Energy Agency says those sales of Russian oil around $20 billion per month, and that would be up 11% from the month before. The Russian ruble has also been on the rise. In fact, it is the strongest currency in the world this year. S&P Global saying that even with an embargo by the West, Asian buyers continue to buy up Russian oil. India, of course, but a huge buyer of Russian crude, although the, the S&P Global does expect continued slowdowns in Russian exports to wind out the year. Remember, the full European ban on Russian oil starts at the beginning of next year. But still, Russian oil revenue actually now at or above where it was pre-war, pre-sanctions. India and China just keep buying up all that Russian crude at a big-time discount. All right, let's get back down to the markets and your money in a macro way and how the Fed's decision in rates does matter with a rare morning panel here on Worldwide Exchange. Jenny Harrington of Gilman Hill Asset Management and Dana Peterson, Chief Economist at the Conference Board, both joining us right now. Uh, Jenny and Dana, thank you for uh, coming on Worldwide Exchange. No, it's early, but we love having you on. Jenny, start with you. Uh, your clients, obviously, got, got your note that you sent out to clients yesterday. thought it was very measured, very calm. Uh, we are going to look like we're going to fall again today. What are you advising your clients and our viewers to do right now? I advise everyone to stay the course. And <laughs> I know that's the most boring, routine um, advice I can possibly give, but it, but it's real. So here's, I've been down on the eastern shore of Maryland for the past two days meeting with clients. And here's the conversation that we're having, which is, look, the market's down about 22% year to date. Um, let's say it gets worse. Let's say we trade to a multiple of 14 and a half times, and that brings the market to down about 32% on the year. All right, most of the work's already been done. I had a meeting with a client yesterday who actually was really surprised by a portfolio that I do not manage um, and how much it was down. It was a combination of high growth and bonds. And both of those have really worked against her. And she said, you know, what should I do? I said, it's too late to do anything now. What are you going to do? You, the bonds are down 12% already year to date. That's for investment grade. Um, the growth stocks are already down. At this point, most of the damage is done. So I don't think it makes sense to start to like, ooh, get aggressive and pivot now. Now is where you check on what you own. You stay the course. Okay, sure. If you have some real dogs where there's never going to be recovery, fine. Maybe you get out of those. But for the bulk of the portfolio, you grit your teeth, bear it, and get through it. And you remember the fact that you've made more money over the past decade than you ever expected to make. And you just kind of put your head down and keep, you know, keep moving forward. It's, it's boring advice, but it's absolutely the right advice. Yeah. We'll call that BBI, boring but important, because you're right, longer term, you want to buy low. <laughs> we look for discounts and everything else in our life. I don't know why we wouldn't look for discounts and stocks. Uh, All right, Dana, talk to us about this macro actually, economy. I don't know. I, I, I don't know what to believe, Dana, because with my eyes, I'm seeing people spending. Every plane is oversold. I don't know what to think. Now we're hearing recession is imminent. What's your take? 
Sure. There's a difference between what's happening now and what's probably going to happen in the future. Right now, you're you're absolutely right. Consumers are spending, uh, even though good spending in yesterday's retail sales report was weak. We know that people are shifting to buying services. Right. They're thinking about going on vacation and they're actually going. They're going to restaurants. They're going back to sporting events and they're engaging in those types of spending. Um, and also, when we look at our consumer confidence measure, the current conditions gauge is fine. Consumers are OK. Why is that? Because they're working. They have jobs. They're seeing their wages rise. However, looking ahead after yesterday's 75 basis point hike, Many of us economists are saying, well, look, this is probably going to elicit a recession. It may be brief, it may be shallow, but a recession nonetheless, if the Fed really raises rates close to three and a half percent by the end of this year, and then close to four percent at some point next year. That's very aggressive. That's raising interest rates into restricted yeah. territory. That's going to slow the economy. And Dana, I'll, I'll do a quick follow-up with you because this is, in many ways, a global inflation story. It is a supply-side-driven inflation story. And I kind of only half-joked the other day that, with all due respect to Jay Powell and the Fed, unless they want to drill an oil well or start captaining a ship filled with goods from China, I don't know what they're going to be able to do about inflation. This is not a normal, just simply monetary policy issue, is it? No, it isn't. And the thing is that there are two types of inflation drivers. There's demand drivers and supply drivers. On the demand side, yes, there's still pretty uh, strong consumer spending. Uh, people are working. Uh, many people are still looking to buy a house. The Fed can address those demand drivers by raising interest rates. The Fed can't address those supply drivers that are lifting inflation, things that you mentioned already things like the war causing global commodity prices to rise or China shutting down over COVID um, and China's kind of a major manufacturing yeah. hub and supply chains. You know, Jenny, you ever listen to sports radio? You can admit it nope. if you do. It's all right. You ever? <laughs> I okay. don't. Well, if you did, okay, if you did, you would know that everybody now is a gambling expert, okay, because sports gambling is booming. And just bear with me here on this analogy. Everybody out there is like, well, you got to put $100 on the Bengals minus three and a half. Every single person. And I feel like the Federal Reserve is the sports radio guy who went 7 and 44 in his locks of the week last year, but is still asking you to follow his bets. Because I, and I heard Jeff Gunlock on CNBC yesterday basically saying, Jay Powell has no credibility left. These people have got it so wrong that, you know, why do we listen to him? but because we have to, because they're moving markets. Do you trust Jay Powell and the Fed? Yeah, I actually do. And I think it's overly cynical and just okay. kind of attention-grabbing to, to be too negative on the Fed. Here's what we know about the Fed. They're really smart. You know, you're really smart, Brian. I'm really smart. I don't get it right all the time. You don't get it right. Nobody gets it right all the time. So you know what you do? You trust people who are trying their best, who have a lot of information, who have more information than you do. I think they did the best they could. And I think this is one of the things that I like about the Fed. They, there's consistently the Fed leadership, in my opinion, has been the least partisan agency that I've experienced. And I think that they try their best. What I love about Jay Powell is what, that he does exactly what he says, which is he says, Above all else, and you talked about this earlier in the show, 
I will remain flexible. And that's what I want, right? I don't want him to dig in so hard that he can't do something. And people say, oh, he did. But you know what the reality is? Is he saw the CPI numbers last week and, and the Fed said, oh boy, you know, whoa, this is worse than we expect. And we're going to be flexible. And that's what I do as a portfolio manager. That's what you do yeah. in your job. You adjust to the news that's coming your way. And we're trying our best. So I think, I think you do listen to the Fed. I think you do hope for the best. I think it's overly cynical not to. Um, and frankly, I think it's unintelligent, you know, not not to say it, say, you know, the, this is an agency that's trying its best and leading us. And the truth is they've done a pretty okay. darn good job because here we are with. Mm, well, sorry, go ahead. No, no, I was going to say and I'll go to Dana on that just because running out of time. OK, we're going to take that view. And I would agree with a lot of what Jenny had to say, Dana, because there is no history book for what happened. The last pandemic, 68, 1957, 1918. We didn't have a global economy. We didn't have to rely on shipping from around the world and COVID lockdowns and the Ningbo export terminal in China. There was no playbook for this. But do you trust the Fed going forward? Actually, I do. I think markets also trust the Fed. In, in fact, after yesterday's action, a stock market rallied. And that's basically because people believe that Fed is credible. And that's really one of the three things the three three things the Fed is trying to address, making sure that they bring down actual inflation, make sure that inflation expectations remain anchored and that uh, markets and consumers and businesses see themselves, see them as credible. So I think the Fed is winning at that. All right. A little love for the Federal Reserve from Jenny Harrington and Dana Peterson. There are a lot of criticism. <laughs> We're trying to play both sides, Jenny and Dana. They got to. Got a little love for Jay Powell and company yesterday. Uh, by the way, uh, some great restaurants in Easton, Maryland, Jenny. I don't know where you are on the Eastern Shore, but check them. Easton, Maryland. Jenny and Dana, oh, thank you very much. Brian, I'm a pro right, at the food down there. <laughs> you know it. Right, Got to love Caroline County. All right, Jenny and Dana, we'll see you soon. Thank you very much. All right, let's get a check on some of this morning's other top stories, including Elon Musk telling Twitter employees that he still like likes them. Pippa Stevens here with that like likes Pippa like it's like eighth grade. Yeah. Do you Brian, like me or like like me? I like don't with know, those little but... things that we used to open. <laughs> yeah, this is an ongoing saga here. And Elon Musk is expected to confirm his desire to own Twitter when he speaks to employees today. Musk is set to answer questions submitted by staffers for about an hour at a virtual town hall meeting, which starts at noon Eastern time. The Wall Street Journal says Musk is also likely to clarify recent comments about working remotely and touch on his strategy for Twitter, including advertising and subscriptions. Twitter is aiming to hold a shareholder vote on the deal later this summer and close it soon thereafter, if possible. And Tesla is hiking prices for all its cars in the United States. The company's website shows the price of the long-range Model Y has increased by $3,000 to $65,990. Tesla had delayed deliveries of some long-range models in the U.S. by up to a month. The price hikes come as costs of raw materials have surged, including aluminum used in cars. And Abbott Labs says it's stopped production of its specialty baby formula after heavy rains flooded parts of its plant in Sturgis, Michigan. Abbott has notified the FDA and says this will likely delay production and distribution of the formula for a few weeks. 
It says it has enough existing supply to meet consumers' needs until new product is available. The shutdown comes just a week after Abbott reopened the plant, which had been closed in February due to reports of bacterial infections, adding to a nationwide shortage. And Revlon has filed for Chapter 11 bankruptcy protection. The move was expected as the cosmetics company has dealt with falling sales and a rising debt load. The company is controlled by billionaire financier Ron Perlman. Brian, I, you know, that Tesla is, is pretty expensive here. Um, a, another price hike for that one. Those raw material costs, man, they are hitting everywhere. Yeah. You've reported on that. I mean, lithium, cobalt, nickel, yeah, the uh, myths. plastic for the body. <laughs> Whatever it is, everything is up, is it not? I mean, remember Rivian tried to push through like a $20,000 per car rate hike earlier this year until customers rebelled. I don't know how any of these companies are going to make any money. I know, and they all have all these EV targets that we are now seeing. They keep getting pushed back because we just don't have the raw materials. And those prices are so high that they're now being passed on to customers. Yeah, and you got people out there that say, you know, well, high gas prices are good because they'll force people to to go to EVs. Wrong. They're going to damage the economy. They raise the price of EVs because people can't afford to buy them. It's probably a net negative for electric cars. We'll wait and see. Pippa Stevens, thank you very much. Because why not just go out? Everybody should just go out and buy a $90,000 electric car. That'll solve all of our problems, right? Right. All right, on deck, more of the Fed's rate decision in the markets. A worldwide exchange exclusive straight from the Super Return Summit in Berlin with TPG President Todd Sisiski. We're back in just a moment. All right, welcome back. Most of the heavy hitters in the world of private equity and deal-making are in Berlin, Germany this week. It's at the annual Super Return Conference. So if the heavy hitters are there, then you know that Leslie Picker will be there as well. And she is. And she joins us now with a special guest. Leslie. Hey, Brian, thank you so much. I am here with Todd Sosinski. He is the president of TPG. Todd, thank you very much for being here today. Thanks for having me, Leslie. TPG is known for investing uh, in growth, and that sector has had a a rough go recently in this rising interest rate environment. Um, From a deal-making perspective, that's probably a boon, but are you anticipating larger declines from here uh, before a real buying opportunity emerges? Well, I think the type of growth that we is growth that we're really excited about and continue to be excited about and is a little different than probably what gets grouped together with growth when, when folks talk about that. I feel like the recent environment, which in some ways has been a little bit unusual relative to the longer-term trends, have emphasized growth at the expense of profit, at the expense of a, of a business model that works. You know, our companies are quite different than that. Um, they've performed really well. They're, I think, in the in the uh, capital franchise, they, they, they were up, and that's not our growthiest business, it's our more mature business, they were up 23% in the LTM period. And so from, from our standpoint, uh, and, they, and the profit grew by more than that. And so from our standpoint, what we're really focused on are excellent businesses that will grow in a secular way through different economic environments. And frankly, we've been so nervous about the downturn, we've been modeling a recession and an expectation that we would exit at a lower multiple than we entered through the whole last fund cycle. So I think I think the, the, the short answer is we feel very good about the growth that we're investing in, and it feels different than the more momentum-y type of growth that I think a lot of uh, that that are reflecting a lot of the companies that have that have crashed. 
and we feel good and from our experience over the last many cycles that they'll, they'll perform well for this type of environment. So do you think then that the current multiple suggests that there is a bottom in the sector? I think that in terms of the, in terms of the, the overall market, uh -huh. the market tends to precede the economy, right? So the, the market has to find its footing. And these periods are unsettling, you know, but we've, we've all lived through them before. I think that um, what, there will, what, you know, what, what will happen is it'll take a little time, it'll be bumpy, and it'll be messy for, for a bit. In our world, it tends to not be the first quarter or the first month that opportunities present themselves. The SPACs of the world, the siren song of the, of the IPO, those are no longer as competitive, and, and that creates opportunities. But oftentimes our experience is it takes a couple of quarters, not a couple of years, but a couple of quarters before you see a resetting of expectations among sellers and some interesting opportunities happen. In fact, whether it's IMS for us, which we signed in 2009, I mean, some of the most interesting opportunities for private equity firms do tend to come out of, of dislocations like this. But you need to be patient. Within your current portfolio companies, are you experiencing some of the same things that we're reading about every day in terms of layoffs? You've got um, Coinbase, Compass, Redfin all announcing layoffs this week. Um, you know, in this kind of shift, this pivot away from growth at all costs towards yes. EBITDA, profitability, um, you know, are you, are you finding that there needs to be some cost cutting going on? Our companies, and I say this, and you should know we spend, I, I look at this every week and try to, our companies have continued to perform quite well. Um, they don't need to shift in that we've, you know, it, it, they've been focused on growing sustainable business models for a while. And so we've been, we've been feeling very good about the durability. And again, we've, in anticipation of this type of environment, we've been focused on secular growth businesses that should grow through this environment. So it may not be the best leading indicator. What I would say, though, is we certainly aren't immune to some of the challenges in the market. Um, we are typically invested in higher value-add companies. So things like input costs, we can tend to pass along because these are, these are important companies that have important relationships with their customers. But in other areas, like the war for talent, we certainly experience it. That's a day-to-day, hand-to-hand -day, you know, combat kind of environment for us. Um, and it's not just economics. That's part of it. It's trying to find ways to make sure that you not only can attract but can retain the best people. We had all of our CFOs and CHROs together in Southern California about three weeks ago to talk about best practices and make sure we're learning from one another. Um, so there are certainly aspects of this environment that are that affect our companies, and we're, you know, we're, we're making sure we do our best to navigate through. But overall, the performance has been quite strong. All right. Well, we really appreciate your time. Todd Zizitsky, president of TPG. Thank you very much. Uh, you, Brian, Leslie. I will send it back over to you. All right. Leslie Picker at the Super Return Summit in Berlin, Germany. Leslie, thank you very much. Right on deck. What in the world is happening under the hood of the mortgage market? Something is happening that has not been seen since 1985. You haven't heard it anywhere else, I promise, but you will hear, and it is next. All right, welcome back. Now that the Federal Reserve is out of the way and hopefully out of the news until mid-July, markets go back to focusing on more normal agenda items, and here's what is happening today. A busy morning with several pieces of economic data. At 8.30, of course, the weekly jobless claims number. You also got housing starts and building permits numbers for May. You got the Philadelphia Fed's latest read on manufacturing as well. Also, the Musk Twitter all-hands meeting where Elon Musk will answer questions from Twitter employees is also going to happen. And we get earnings out of Kroger and Adobe as well. All right, let's talk real estate and the mortgage market, because you know that mortgage rates have super spiked in just the last few weeks. That's public information that is easy to find. 
But this is not. Pricing in the overall mortgage-backed securities market, known on the street as MBS, has collapsed. It is now at the lowest point since 1985. So what might all this mean for the market and maybe your ability to get a loan? Let's bring in Walt Schmidt of FHN Financial. He's known as much about this market as anybody in America. He was actually a source of mine during the 2008 financial crisis. Uh, Walt, it's good to have you on the phone. I know it's really really early out there in, in Chicago. Uh, what exactly is happening in the MBS market with pricing? Well, hi, Brian. It's good to talk to you again. Um, What's happening with pricing is uh, it's very low uh, is is the the bottom line. Uh, we had basically two years uh, worth of lower interest rates, which causes refinancings. Uh, and so all of the mortgage rates that are outstanding uh, from the last two years are somewhere in the 2% range, 3% range, maybe low 4% range. But as you said, uh, mortgage rates have spiked. They're now close to 6%. And uh, for those that know fixed income, they know that yields and prices move in opposite directions. Uh, so the yield on the MBS security, which is a little bit lower than the, than the uh, uh, rate that the borrower gets, when those yields spike like that, prices go down. Um, and so the average dollar price of the mortgage market is now uh, close to 90 cents on the dollar. And the last time, wow. uh, the, yes, the last time mortgage prices were that low was in the, the mid 1980s. So, what does that tell us? I mean, it sounds like there's obviously some sort of dislocation. Is there a liquidity issue in mortgage-backed securities? There is a little bit of a liquidity issue because those coupons that were outstanding or those lower rates that were outstanding from the last two years, some of them are actually trading in the 83 cents in the dollar range, 85 cents in the dollar range. And so there's a lot of those outstanding. So from a, a market value standpoint or market cap standpoint, there should not be a liquidity problem. But because those dollar prices are so low, and investors are still a little uneasy or, or a little concerned about what the Fed might do with their mortgage-backed securities portfolio, which, by the way, also owns those really low coupons. There's still a lot of uncertainty about pricing on that going forward. And if there's uncertainty about that on pricing, that feeds through into mortgage rates. Uh, and so the bottom line is we could see some continued volatility. Uh, 30-year mortgage rates might fall, mm -hmm. say, a quarter of a point in a day or two, but then it might also turn around and go back up uh, by more than a quarter point the next few days. This is the kind of stuff that is so critically important. I know our audience, Walt, is probably watching or listening and thinking, well, I don't trade mortgage-backed securities. Why do I care? This is the kind of stuff that goes on under the hood, to correct me if I'm wrong, that does impact some people's ability, maybe on the margin, to get a loan. Does it not? I mean, pricing dislocations like this, to your point, will impact whether some big lender like Wells Fargo gives our viewers a mortgage. Exactly. Uh, well, let, first of all, let's remember that the mortgage market that is uh, guaranteed by Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, and Ginnie Mae, which is basically what we're talking about, is $8 trillion. So it's a huge market. Um, and so it, what happens in that market obviously does filter through. But it's more than just the mortgage rate. Uh, people, so a lot of people don't understand that mortgage-backed securities are in the portfolios that they own, whether they know it or not. If they own a general fixed income fund, for example, a lot of that will be in mortgage-backed securities as well as corporate securities. So it affects not only um, the mortgage rate that they get, 
but it also affects the value of their securities portfolios and their retirement accounts, et cetera. So it has kind of a double impact. What the Fed's doing now in the fight against inflation has kind of a double impact on consumers. Very quickly, Walt, 20 seconds. Does this have any larger impacts like 2008 or is it totally different now? It's different now because 2008 was a credit issue. People were concerned about people actually making their mortgage payments. There's no concern about that now because, as we all know, the housing market's still quite strong. There's a lot of equity in the housing market. This is all a duration issue. This is all an issue about the, yeah. the level of interest rates relative to the coupon. So it's less, yeah. it's less pernicious than 2008, certainly. Okay, well, a little bit of good news. We'll end the show on that, but keep us updated on how pricing looks right now. Big dislocation. Walt Schmidt of FHN Financial Walk. Great to chat with you again, folks. So pay attention, guys. A lot of stuff happening under the hood with these bond market moves that are not necessarily sexy or random but interesting, but they are random but important. I'm off tomorrow, folks. I will see you next week. That does it for us. Squawk Box is next. Have a great day. You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern only on CNBC. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools.